All right, good morning, everyone. Welcome back to Kabbalah and Coffee. Uh, this is our, I don't know how many sessions, maybe about 10, something like that, 10th session. Pass this down, please. Um, the text that we're studying, of course, is called Victory of Light. The focus is at least the passport, and uh, those of you that have been here for a while know what I'm talking about. The passport to this discourse, I guess just kind of fan it down that way. Um, yeah, we'll just leave it just in case. Um, the passport to the discourse is the subject, the topic of Hanukkah. What that means is that's kind of the entranceway to get into the mystical discussion, to get into the heart, to get into the soul, to get into the major Kabbalistic themes. So you need a way where well, you're not just going to open up the text and it's suddenly going to get like very deep and like, oh, boom, like throw you in. You have to get in, you have to segue in. How do you get in there? You get in by either quoting a text you quote a verse, you quote a section from the Talmud, you quote a section from the Mishnah, you quote something else, you quote a story, whatever it is. So our discourse is quoting the Talmud, the Talmudic account of the story of Hanukkah. And as we discussed uh, several weeks ago, many weeks ago, we had, there are many questions to be asked on the story of Hanukkah as told in the Talmud, Tractate Shabbat. One of the major questions we had was why is it that the Greeks went immediately after the oil? Remember that question? The Greeks came into the temple, to the Beit HaMikdash, and it says, what did they do? They came in, and as soon as they came in, they went to defile the oils. The oil in the Hegel, the oil in the sanctuary. So I have here my trusted copy of the, the plans of the Beit HaMikdash of the Holy Temple. And over here, if you recall, if you still have this, great. If not, um, you'll just kind of look up here. So this is the entire temple area, that's the larger, but specifically there was a bu- the temple building, the main building of the temple is this area right here. Um, this was the entranceway, you see the steps, thank God for transparent paper, I can kind of see, or somewhat uh, translucent over here. So there's steps that go up to an entranceway, then you go into the major section of the Beit there's the major section of the temple building, and then you go into the Holy of Holies over here. Now, when I say you would go into the Holy of Holies, you wouldn't actually go into the Holy of Holies unless you were the high priest, and unless it was Yom Kippur once a year. Otherwise, uh, you can't go into this holiest of chambers called the Kodesh HaKadoshim Holy of Holies. You could go, if you were a Kohen, if you were a priest, into this area, um, into this area known as the Kodesh, which is just the holiest. It's not the Holy of Holies, it's just the holy area, or it's also called the Hechel. Hechel means the chamber, holy chamber. In that Hechel, was found various, various vessels, including a golden altar where they offered incense, a table where they offered showbread. What is showbread? Showbread is basically loaves of bread that they would put out on that table. And there was the menorah. So it says when the Yavanim, the Greeks, again, we, they weren't really Greeks, they were Syrians, but they were influenced by the Greek philosophy, and that's what they were motivated by. So when the Syrian Greeks came in, to the base of Middash to defile it, what happened? Timu Kalashmanam They went after the oil that was found in the Hechel, that was found in this chamber, in this holy chamber. And what was their objective? Their objective was to defile the oil. And our question was, all the way at the beginning of the discourse, why is it that they went after the oil? They had nothing better to do. They could have done something. They could have. Uh, and they also did. They could have gone after the altar. They could have gone after the, the showbread. They could have um, 
what could they have done? I, they could have gone creative, but they went specifically after the oil. And when it comes to the miracle of Hanukkah, what was the miracle? That they looked and they searched and they only found one small cruise of oil. And a miracle happened in that small cruise that only had enough oil to last for one day, lasted for eight days. So we asked the question, why did the miracle of Hanukkah, the primary miracle that we celebrate, commemorate until this very day, why is it about the oil? Well, why did the Greeks go after the oil? Why is the miracle after the oil? About the oil. And why is it, furthermore, that they even were looking for, for, for kosher oil, for pure oil? As I mentioned in the email, and we mentioned this also a little while ago when we first started this discourse, it's known that, when, that, in a, that in a pinch, when you have no other oil, so you can use any oil to kindle the menorah. The law states that ideally you should use pure oil. But if you don't have pure oil, so you use any oil. There's no obligation to use the pure oil if you don't have it. So why is it that they were, that they were searching high and low for the oil, and they kindled it, and they were hoping for a miracle, and they weren't going to light, use any other oil? Why is it that they were so dedicated or so focused on using this pure oil? So to understand all of this, we first introduced the concept of what oil is. And we introduced what the concept of holiness is. And then we introduced what the Greeks wanted in general. What was their agenda? Again, they weren't Greeks, but what's, what, what is the Greek agenda in the first place? And the way we described it, and we also talked about this last week, the way that we described the Greek agenda is basically turning everything into a philosophy. Turning everything into something rational. Turning everything into something that the mind can, can grasp and can get its... Uh, I don't know what the mind... Synapses around. That's what the Greeks... That's what Greek philosophy is all about. Hellenism, what we would call maybe today secularism, it's all about the mind. All about the mind. The mind is the measure of all things. It's got to make sense. Philosophy, it's the mind, it's... That's, that's the crown of, of the human being. That's the crown of the universe is the human mind. This is the Greek philosophy. So remember we said last week how Moses, Moshe, he represented Seichel de Kedusha, holy intellect, holy wisdom. And so that's why when he saw things not working out the way he would like, when he saw the Jews suffering... He questioned God. He said, I don't understand. And God said, oh yeah, I missed the olden days where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they didn't have so many questions. Because it wasn't about figuring everything out. But Moses was holy intellect. Holy intellect, Batman. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah. You got, you got a little guffaw, a little giggle out of there. Alright, it works. I'll take it, I'll take it. It's Sunday morning. Still early. So, who, so Moses was all about the intel, was all about the mind. Seichel. Figuring things out. So when he couldn't, so he questioned. Not to say he didn't have that ability to accept and the ability, but he was a questioner. That was his, that was his thing. But what we say, what we said last week, is that the mind has its limitations. The mind has limitations on a very basic level. We all know that our minds can understand certain things and, not, and certain things we don't understand so well. Certain things we don't understand because we can't relate to. 
It's out of our... It's, we know things in a certain way, in a certain box, and something else that someone else understands, maybe a different part of the world, we, we have a hard time relating to it. So we can't understand it. So that's one limitation of, of seichel, of, of intellect. Another limitation is when you talk about divine intellect, divine wisdom. So if a person has difficulty understanding human intellect, well, if a person has difficulty understanding things that are understandable by human beings, theoretically understandable, let alone understanding something that cannot be understood by human beings. When you talk about God's infinite wisdom, the infinite wisdom cannot be understood by finite, by finite minds. It's like, forget about sticking a square peg into a round hole. You're talking about sticking infinite wisdom into a finite mind. That's just not going to work. It's not going to fit. So there are some inherent challenges there. Good morning. There are inherent challenges in trying to use the mind to really understand God, what God wants by trying to understand what His wisdom is. Let alone, once we understand that, that, uh, that the mitzvot are not only God's wisdom, but they're God's will. And will, by definition is something that is not subject to a rational conversation. So we all know that in our own experience, there are certain things that we want because it makes sense. So that's will, that's the things that we want that's driven by seichel, that's driven by intellect. So because it makes sense, therefore I want it. But there are other desires that we have that transcend intellect, transcend rationale. It's not that I want it because it makes sense. I want it. Like we used the illustration last week. The concept of chocolate. Chocolate or vanilla, right? Or Coke or Sprite or Caesar salad or... It's another salad. Greek salad. So, oh, that's, a, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Does Greek salad have oil in it? How ironic would that be? How ir- oh, that's, great. that's great. Enough oil to last for eight days? Nah. That's it. What do you think they were doing with all of our oil? They came in, they're like, oh, we have some salads to make. Hello. They're like, hey, this is great. Let's pop these seals. Let's whip up some salads. They meant no harm. They're just like, we got to eat. We're hungry. We've been like ransacking the temple. So yeah, Greeks got to eat. All right. That just, it could be very pragmatic. And the Jew says, what? And and that that just happened. That was so easy. All right, folks. It's incredible. And then the Jews came in and they're like, well, we got to light our, 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 we got we need, they can't see in here. They're like, oh, we use it for salad. Like, come on, guys. Come on. Weren't you thinking about like, it's at night. Like, what are we going to do? We have a party now. We're celebrating our victory. We, we need, and the miracle happened. Good stuff. So you ask somebody, why do you like the Greek salad? Why do you like the Caesar salad? Why do you like the California roll of sushi versus the Gesundheit, the other stuff, right? The volcano, the tornado, the dragon roll, whatever it is. And so the answer is, because I like what I like. I don't know why. Because it tastes good to me. Well, why does it taste good to you? it, It tastes good to me. You can ask somebody why it tastes good to them. They don't have an answer. 
tastes good? Because I like it. Why do you like it? Because it tastes good. And thus the circle continues. So we, we reach a certain point where we say that certain things that we want are tied to a deeper place than rationale. It's tied to what we perceive, what we feel is pleasurable. Pleasure and pain is different for every person. And so therefore, when you talk about things that are God's will, God's will is not something that's subject to a rational conversation. So when the Greeks said, you have to be rational people, you have to be rational people, you can't be irrational. Jews, they said, you're a bunch of irrational people. You're obedient to your Torah, you're obedient to your mitzvot, even when it doesn't make sense. And the Greeks said, that's not the way to live. The Greek philosophy said, that's not the way to live. What's the way to live? You live with the mind. If it makes sense, good. If it doesn't make sense, no good. If the mind says, stretch the mind a little bit, because it will make sense soon, that's also okay. But, it's gotta, but the, the, the foundation has, has to be something that makes sense. If you say, I'll suspend my mind in this moment because I trust that eventually I'll understand, okay, fine, we'll also let you do that. But it has to have some sort of, some sort of attachment, some sort of hold in the rational mind, in the, rational, in the world of rationale. It's got to be rational. Otherwise, it's foolish. And so, what the Greek philosophy said when it came in contact with, with Judaism is that you have, to, you have to adjust some things. You have to adjust. Some core principles you have to adjust. Your, your day-to-day might kind of look the same, kind of look the same. But the underlying, the underpinning what drives, what motivates, what pushes you forward has to be radically different. Instead of saying, I'm waking up in the morning and I'm going to study some Torah and, and pray a little bit and then do a mitzvah, because Hashem said so, you should say rather, do it because it makes sense. It'll make me a better person. I'll feel happier. This is the way to self-fulfillment. Slight modifications. But there's something to be said for that. There's nothing to be said for that. It makes a lot of sense. Do it because it makes sense. It makes sense to pray because when you pray, you're connected, da, 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 all that stuff. It makes sense. It makes sense to do a mitzvah to give charity in the morning. Why wouldn't you want to give charity in the morning? It's a good deed. You should do it. It makes sense. It makes sense to study some wisdom. You're going to study, you're going to begin your day wisdomless. Get some wisdom in your head. So the Greeks could say, do the same things you do in the morning. Study some wisdom. Do a little prayer. Do a little mitzvah. Give a little charity. The Greeks say, do the same thing, but do it for a different reason. And Judaism said, if you do it for that reason, it changes everything. Because now it's no longer about God, and it's no longer a relationship with God, now it's about yourself. So what's so wrong about that? There's nothing. If you're Greek, from the Greek perspective, if we are all that there is, and we create gods in our image, and the mind is the measure of all things, and the, and the you know I think therefore I am, and, and the mind is the top. So yeah, so then so what I think, what I feel, what I desire, so that's that's king. But Judaism is predicated on God taking us out of Egypt, as we said many times. The story, the Jewish story, begins with God sending Abraham out to the unknown, God taking the Jewish people out of Egypt. Two different starting points. Whether you talk about the a patriarch starting point to the Jewish people, or the formal start at, at, at uh, the Exodus. And then God gives us the Torah. It's not about 
self-actualization. It's not about, well, I feel better, and this makes sense to me, and that's how I like it. It's not, it's not the foundation of Judaism. That's the foundation of many other philosophies, many other religions, but it's not the foundation of Judaism. The foundation of Judaism is, God said, this is what I want, and we said, we're ready to do it. Why? Because this is what you want. God says, I have 613 things that I want you to do. Here's a checklist. And we say, no problem, we're doing it. And that creates a real relationship. God says, this is what I want you to do. We say, okay, ready to do it. Even before God said what He wanted, we said, we're ready to go. So, to the point, I've said this many times, the Talmud says, one of the Talmudic sages once said, if God would have wanted us to chop wood, we would have chopped, we would be wood choppers. How much wood would a Jewish wood chopper chop if God told us to we would chop a lot of wood? Why? Because that would be the mitzvah, that would be divine will. We are not the architects of divine will. God is the architect of divine, it's His will. He says, I want you to do this, whether you understand it or not. So here's the question. So how does your day look any different? Whether what, un- what, what, what drives you forward is your own understanding and your own good feeling and your own, well, this makes sense to me and this will make me a better person, therefore I accept it and I'm going to do it. Versus, I'm doing it because God wants me to. How does it look differently? You might not always see the difference. Two people, you know, split screen, waking up in the morning, studying something, praying, doing a good deed, going off to work. Split screen, they look like they're doing the same thing. One is motivated by self, by the understanding, this makes sense, I understand it, I feel good about it, self. The other person says, this is what God wants. God wants also me to understand and to feel, but God, but God wants me to do it. Not that I want to be... I want to be self-actualized. God wants me to be self-actualized. I want to be a healthy person. God wants me to be a healthy person. So what's the difference? From a healthy person at the end of the day, does it matter where it's coming from? One answer, as we said before, and we said a few weeks ago, is because one gets you in a real, in a real relationship with God, the other one gets you in a real relationship with yourself. In, in one side of the split screen, you're stuck within yourself. The only one that you're relating to is yourself. I want this, I want that, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Fine, so good. So you're good, you're healthy, you're doing your thing. It's about you. Whereas the other side of the screen is somebody who is now doing things for Hashem. So now you have a relationship with God. That's one difference. The other difference is, the other di- and this is the key difference. How far will you go? Because there will always be a certain point in time where the mind says, you know what, I don't want to do it today. Or this, I don't want to do. Or to that extent, doesn't really feel comfortable. There's always a wall, there's always a point, there's always a ceiling for the mind. Where the mind says, up until this point, it was good. But past this point, eh. Doesn't make sense. So, Every morning I'll wake up, study some wisdom, Jewish wisdom, pray a little bit, and do a mitzvah. Give some charity. But, not when it's five degrees outside. No. Because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for me to get up and go to shul and do my thing if it's so cold outside. So I'm not going to do it, because it doesn't... So usually it makes sense. But today it doesn't make sense. 
So, if the foundation is the mind, so when it doesn't make sense, so I'm not going to do it. If the foundation is what God wants, so then whether or not it makes sense, I'm going to do it. Because that's where I've committed myself. If I'm committed to myself, there are many things that I can rationalize. Even though usually I'm going to do what I need to, what, 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 I, I'm going to do what, what I need to do. There are many times where I'll say, you know what, doesn't make so much sense. I don't want to do it. Certainly not to the point where it hurts. I'm certainly not going to push myself to the point where it doesn't make sense and I feel like, wow, this is really painful. I don't want to do it. Certainly you're not going to do it then. If it's all about when it makes sense. Unless you decide that even when it hurts, it still makes sense, but then it doesn't hurt anymore. So is this an all or nothing in a way? No. Because like, I'm thinking that you know, you a split screen, but there's so many shades in between, in between the two. Yeah, so it's, what it means is, no, life is, here's the thing, here's the thing about gray. Somebody said this yesterday, we were fabranging a little bit. Somebody said this, you know, in certain programs, certain programs like maybe paint, when you zoom in on, I don't know, modern graphics, graphic programs, but, you know, simple, very basic, old, pixelated stuff. You go, you see something that's gray, you zoom in, it's not really gray. What is it? A black pixel and a white pixel. We have to be careful about gray. Gray is often a misnomer. Gray is very small points of black or white also. I don't know that that addresses your question. Just wanted to point that out. No, but like oftentimes, so the question is in this small detail, is it this way or that way? Is it me? Is it my rationale or is it what God wants? So there are many, there are going to be many instances and those together are going to maybe, so in some cases I'll be white, some cases I'll be black. We just take a step back and so there's gray. In other words, so my life is a, is a composition. So some areas I'm in it because God, that's what God wants. Some areas I'm in it for myself. It's okay. As long as we're moving in the right direction. But, but the point is really here to understand the, the two major views. The Greek view is do it because you understand it. Do it because it feels good. Do it because it's going to make you a better person. Do it for enlightenment. Do it. Because it's going to promote the human being. That's what Greek philosophy says. Judaism's huh? It's not bad. It's not bad, but it's not godly. Judaism says, do it because God wants. But God wants the same thing, though. God wants it, but now that you're doing it because God wants it, a few things happen. Number one, you, you're, in a re- you're in a relation with God, whereas before you were just all about yourself. You were stuck in yourself, which is the, worst, the most dangerous place to be, is stuck in yourself. Number two... You'll never go past your comfort zone if it's all about you. The moment you say, well, this mitzvah ah, doesn't really make sense. I don't really understand it. Or I don't see how it's going to make me feel better, make me more actualized. I don't see how it's going to benefit my self-esteem. I don't see how it's going to make me more enlightened. At that moment, you'll shut it down. You'll say, okay, well, let me move on to the areas that I do feel more enlightened, I do feel more, etc. Things that, that basically... Get me more excited. Get me more excited. Whereas if it's about God, then even if God says chop wood, I'm chopping wood with excitement. 
Because God says, I want you to do the mitzvot and do it with excitement. Because one of the 613, by the way, I don't know if it's one of the 613, but it's one of the underpinnings of the 613 mitzvot, of, the, of that checklist, is what King David writes in Psalms, Ivdu et Hashem b'simcha. Serve God with joy. So it's not enough to say, all right, uh, check, check, God wants this, God wants that. You got to serve God with joy. Oh, now I have to serve God with joy. Ah, oh, it's so much pressure. <laughs> you have to serve God with joy. What that means is you have to enjoy serving God. Enjoy letting go. Enjoy shutting off the mind. Rabbi, can you relate that to the, uh, the imbalance in the spirit? Where, where's the imbalance? The imbalance. The imbalance. Where, where's the imbalance if you, uh, if you simply follow the... So here's the deal. There's, in the spherot themselves, I think you're kind of okay. Because the Svirot, remember that they are, that's the, the composition of powers in the cosmos and also in the soul. And the, the, the highest point of the Svirot is Chachma, Bina, Das, is the wisdom, is the, is, the, is the intellect. So if you follow that, although Chachma we're going to get to in a second is not, not so simple that it's about intellect. It's about, but if you follow the template typically, you could say, look... I have my seichel, I have my midos, I have my intellect, I have my emotions, everything is, it's about me. But God exists above the spherot. God uses spherot, but God is above the spherot. There are ten powers of the soul. But those are powers that the soul has, that's not the soul itself. It's a mistake to say that the totality of the soul is its ten powers. The soul has ten powers, but that's not the soul. I can do many things. I can walk and chew gum. And whistle. Ooh. No. No way. Chew gum and whistle? It's impossible. Forget about it. You gotta you got be a superman. Or a superwoman. But here's the thing. I can do many things. But does that define... Is that who I am? It's not who I am. It's what I do. Or it's abilities that I have. The soul has ten powers. That's not the soul. God compressed his reality, his, his, his being, into wisdom, into emotions, into all of these things. But that's not, that's, not, that's not the totality of God. That's God's compression. That's where God condenses himself within. That's not, that's not the totality. That's not everything. So I think within the Sfirot, although we're going to get to Chachma in a moment, in chat, we're about to start chapter 5. And we're going to talk about the oil and Chachma. So we're going to see there's a little bit of an imbalance with Chachma. But generally speaking, you're actually safe. And the point is that even if you're safe, but where's God? Where's God in the equation? That's the critical question, yeah. Begrudgingly. If you do begrudgingly, so God says, uh, don't do many favors, right? Like, uh, I, I, I have to do my, uh, my morning you know, exercise routine. Right. Do it. I'm going to do it for God. No, no, you do it, no, you're doing it with joy. Like, you know, yeah, I'm tired of doing it, but, but you do it. And, and then I'll say, really, so like you've got a, a uh, sidekick, you know, you've got to help him. Yeah. 
God, you in other words, what, you, what Marnina is saying, what I think, what I think you're saying is that when you're really, like another distinction is when you're really doing it for God, then you're really gonna, there's really gonna be joy. But it's not a, per, it's not a selfish joy. It's a, it's a pure, there's a pure joy. Can you just remind me? Let you guys fight it out. Oh. <laughs> just, you mentioned a couple of weeks ago the. the Distinction between the simple servant and the joyful servant? Yeah. Or the, the simple servant and the, I can't remember what it was, the son? So there's three levels. Right. There's the son. I thought ultimately there was something about the, the simple, simple servant. servant who did it, not quite begrudgingly, but with resistance. Uh, well, I don't know if the simple servant is about resistance. The simple servant is, look, I may not get it, I may not feel it, I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that I'm feeling like, oh, I don't really want. Right. There is a little bit of that, that maybe I don't want to do it. Right. No, there is an advantage of that as well. For him being joyful from the book. Right, no, 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 no. And the simple servant, no, you're right. The simple servant, we, 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 uh, we talked about the Eved, there was the Ben, the son. There's the Eved Nehman, the trusted servant. And then there's the Eved Pasha, the simple servant. The simple servant, the advantage there was simple obedience. Just doing, doing what needs to be done because it needs to be done, whether you like it or not. There's an advantage there as well. But I think what we're talking about here is something, trying to find a little bit more balance between the two approaches, and also something a little bit more holistic, because at the end of the day, God doesn't really want us to be miserable. But He doesn't want us to be stuck in ourselves either. So from that perspective, the ideal is to do it, and to appreciate that we're doing it because... Because of God, and that's something that's, you know, in the in the morning prayers we say such a beautiful line, and there are many Hasidic tunes. You know, mostly Hasidic tunes. Most Hasidic tunes are don't have words. There's a bunch of ay 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 ay's, right? Like ay ay is the word typically, right? Ay 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 ay. Different too. Some are slow, some are fast, but there is a a, a, a verse or a a sentence from the morning prayers that is put to a few different Hasidic tunes. And the words are Ashrenu Matov Chalkenu, which means how fortunate, how lucky we are for our portion. In other words, what we're saying is how fortunate we are that we have the opportunity to serve God in such a way. So we, say, we don't say in the morning prayers, oh it's, so t- oh, it's so hard to be a Jew. See, that was a mistake, unfortunately, without judging previous generations. But that line... It's It's hard to be a Jew. That's, that did a lot of damage to the next generation. When from the old country it was said, it's hard to be a Jew, it's difficult. That did a lot of damage. Even though the, the previous generation never meant we're therefore going to turn away from it. It's hard, we're going to do it anyway. Oh, Pesach is coming. Oh, you know how much work is Pesach? You gotta clean the house. Oh, it's so much work. The kvetching, the kvetching, in my opinion, again without judging, the reality is it did damage. Because the next generation said, So what do I need it for? Why why are you do, what do you do? So that's for the old country. You guys were uh, you guys loved pain or something. I don't know. Clearly, it's, it's so difficult. You're fetching about it, you're complaining, and you're still doing it. 
There are people that you see for that type of stuff, right? For that condition. But we, who wants the pain? We live in a very pleasure society, pleasure-centric society, right? This will give you pleasure, that will give you pleasure. Do this, it'll make you happy. Drink this beverage, it'll make you really happy. Wear these clothes, you'll be super happy. So we live, so who wants something difficult? So that's why, and you've heard me say this many times before, you have to replace the oy of Judaism with the joy. That doesn't mean, though, that it's no longer about God. What it means is that God doesn't want us to be so miserable. Now, there's still an advantage to the simple servant. You can't take that away. The person that is not yet ready to feel the joy and to appreciate it, but still does it, there's a value in that obedience. There's a value. That no matter how much I'm being pulled in the opposite direction, I'm still going to make the right choice. That's an exam- That's a, 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 a typical example in a relationship in any, any important area of life. I don't understand, I don't feel, but you know what? This is what the other one wants, I'm going to do it anyway. Is there no advantage, though, in, in doing it with a smiling face? In, in, in giving your spouse what they want? You know, doing the shot, whatever it is, you do something and you do it with a smile and say, you know, I, 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 I appreciate the opportunity to do something for you. Certainly that's not a bad thing. But it's about them. It's, I'm doing what you want me to do. And I appreciate how fortunate we are, how fortunate we are to have this lot in life. Not how terrible it is to have this lot in life, how difficult it is to have this lot in life. How beautiful, how fortunate. It's, we're so fortunate to have this lot. How beautiful is our Yerusha, is our inheritance. And how sweet is our goral is our lot. That's what we say about Judaism. It's a beautiful thing. It's not something that's, oh, it's so difficult. But at the same time, it's not about self-actualization. This is the balance. This is the balance that we have to walk. Now, does that mean all or nothing? It doesn't mean all or nothing. We never say, oh, well, if, it's about, if you're in it, if you're doing the mitzvah because you like it, well, then you might as well just drop it. Of course not. We say that one of the one of the primary teachings on the subject is what it says in Pergeavus. It says in Pergeavus ethics. It says somewhere else. The Talmud says it, it says in, in Pergeavot the ethics of the fathers. But it, I don't think it says it there. It says it in the Talmud. Talmudic statement. It says better to do something for the wrong reasons than not to do it at all. Why? Because when you do it for the wrong reasons, eventually you'll do it for the right reasons. Shaloy Lashma means not for the sake of God. When you do it not for the sake of God, you do it for your own sake. You do it, you study Torah because you want to feel enlightened. Because you want to feel wise. You want to feel, because it feels good, it, 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 it's, you, you enjoy it. So good. Better to study Torah from that place than to not study at all. Why? First of all, you're studying Torah. At the end of the day, you're still doing a mitzvah. Whether, whether you know it or not. And second of all, from the place of insincerity, you'll, you'll eventually come to a place of sincerity. Eventually, you'll appreciate the fact that it's divine wisdom. Even if you begin studying it, thinking, wow, this is great enlightening wisdom, and I'm going to become so smart through this, eventually you'll realize, this is something a little bit higher. And now I'm studying what God wants me to study. You'll elevate the experience. Hopefully. Aside from that, your soul certainly is experiencing it from the right perspective. Even if your body says it's about me, your soul certainly knows the right reason. So just to, if 
before I ask my question, recap the base. The basic question we're having here is: Do I do something with my Greek mind, which is the rational mind? Yes. Or do I do it because God says this is what? My big fat Greek mind. And, and Steve and I were having that conversation with you a couple of weeks ago. Yes. Sorry, my big fat Greek mind says let's rely on rational thought. Right. And we were we were proposing the ask the rabbi session that maybe one day will happen. Yes. We can ask all those questions. Yes. I keep going back to the point of. How do I know this is from God? Yes. You know, that is the core thing. And right. so I, this, I ask this question to you probably once a year, and you'll say, yes. well, it wasn't revealed to one person. This big mass revelation, the whole thing. This is how Moses did the whole thing, and then I'll go to some alternate sources, and I'll see a very different explanation of where all this came from. Right. And my rational mind, my Greek mind, says this seems a little more plausible. You know, I mean, I hate to say it, and I'm in a, a Greek mind because I'm using ration. You know, if I really said, but I'm, to make that decision, I'm using a rational mind. And in a way, the decision to say this came from God in a different way than all the other stuff out there. You know, I was just in Mexico and the Mayans did their thing and they were telling us about it. And that's... Uh, they, were, they were like, you know, reformed Jews. <laughs> we are not we are we are not we are not we do not denominationalize Jews we don't go we don't get denomination you know this is the famous joke about Hanukkah we're going to address your question in a sec the woman comes to the post office and she says can I get some some Hanukkah stamps Hanukkah stamps and so the person we had to says so in what denomination she says oh even the po- even the now, see, that joke doesn't really work nowadays because they always sell that um, universal... What's that stamp? Forever stamp. But back in the day, it was the 10-cent the stamp, the 20-cent stamp, the 30-cent stamp. She's like, even the post office denomination. Anyway, we're not going to... We don't... We don't. But, here, but your, question, your question is still valid. <laughs> this time as well. It's a valid question. There is no... Thank God, there is no rational basis for Judaism. But notice I said, thank God. Because, because if there was, it would still be based on the rational. And we don't want that. If you find that your rationale has difficulty understanding how this could all be true, embrace it. <laughs> Celebrate it. <laughs> Appreciate that. Doesn't mean to stop asking the question. Doesn't mean to stop exploring Tsugazun. Did I ever send you that talk? The video? Did I, did I send it to you? I think you sent me a couple. I'm not sure which one you're referring to. The professor from Gilligan's Island? No, no. The, <laughs> the professor who's speaking on one, the proofs. It's probably a few years ago, three, yeah, four years yeah, ago. On what? On the, Ed is asking like this. How do we know that all of this is divine? You're telling me that this is divine will, divine wisdom, is what God wants. This is the checklist. <laughs> Who says? Yeah. That's the question. So I say, on a basic level, is this divine or not? How do we know it's divine? Was this codified over time? Is it divine or is it man-made? So what I'll tell you is this. The simple answer is, the simple answer is, this is the story that we've always had. And it didn't come from, and this is the simple answer. Again, how do you know, how do you know your Bubby, your, your, your Elta Zayda that you never met before? How do you know Christopher Columbus? So, because oh, you found this, you found that. At the end of the day, we have a family story. 
The story is that 600,000 men between the age of 20 and 60, which means that you have women of that age, plus children, plus the elderly, so you had probably 2 to 3 million people that collectively had, had an experience, a revelation at Sinai. And they, all of them told their, their children, who then told, or their children were there, they all told the next generation, the next generation. It's a story that begins with a mass group of people, as opposed to every other religious origin. Every other religion begins with one person, having one revelation that no one else saw. And then they told somebody about it. Judaism is the only faith, the only religion, it's not a religion, but Judaism is the only movement that the origin is a mass group of people. Can you not... Huh? No, the, the Ten Commandments at Sinai. Everyone was there at the mountain. That's the story. It's not like one person said everyone was there. Because then it would have been written like that. You have to... Follow, look, look, wait, 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 wait. This is... This is... This is... This is... This is not the foundation. The foundation is... This is the story that we have. This has always been our story. There's never been a different narrative. <laughs> the Jews of that generation. <laughs> Moses. Moses was the one who wrote it down. Moses and others. By by God. The, our our faith tells us. Our Judaism says that God dictated the Torah. Moses wrote it down. But the stories in the Torah were collective. But the, the, the divine revelation was collectively experienced. Huh? Um, it was translated. It was translated later in some of them. No, Moses translated the Torah in seventy languages in the book of Deuteronomy. Saying when God spoke the Ten Commandments. No, I don't think. Maybe there's a maybe there's a midrashic thing. But getting back to the essential point, here's the thing: that these are all there. Are, there are different arguments, and you've heard you've heard all of them, and you've read the you've read the rebuttals on them, and you've watched the video, and you watched the counter video, and whatever it is. First of all, I still think there there is there is something to that argument, but at the end of the day, there's not you're not going to find a concrete, rational, airtight, waterproof. Slam dunk. Slam dunk, whatever other cliche you could put in, rational proof that Torah is divine. Nor will you find the rational proof, airtight, slam dunk, etc., that God exists in the first place. You're not going to find it. And I said before, thank God we don't have that. Because if we did, then everything would be based on our mind. Because it made, oh, I followed the dots. A... B, C, D, E, God, Torah. So then I'm going to do it. Because it makes a lot of sense. Judaism says, you've got to take that leap. You've got to take that, that, that step beyond the rationale. And the Greeks said, if you tell me that Moses was divinely inspired and he wrote a book and da-da-da-da-da, fine. Makes sense. Make, keep it because it makes sense. Study it because it makes sense. But you want to go totally outside the box? Show me the proof or go home. So every spiritual movement says, we got it, take the step. I mean, and that can take you into some weird places, quite frankly. Like I said, the Aztecs like to kill... I'll tell you one thing. I'll tell you one thing. I'll tell you one thing. The greatest argument for Judaism is by looking at the 3,000-year track record. The greatest argument, you can say, is not what the philosophy says, but about how it's been lived and how it's been practiced. That's, That's the end of the day. 
I mean, that, that's, that's, the bottom, that's where, the, where the rubber meets the road, if you will. And the bottom line is, Judaism was never about human sacrifices, was never about um, uh, harming others, was never about... Was never, I mean, look at the history. Proof is in the pudding. You have other philosophies, both religious and secular, that led to mass killings. That led to tremendous bloodshed. Anyway, so these are some of the... Look, so you're right. It can lead into... To take that leap can lead into weird places. 100%. Look, it's... There are various religious movements today that say you have to take a leap of faith and therefore kill people. Because that's what... That's what's required. Self-sacrifice. The Jewish notion of self-sacrifice was never killing yourself or killing others. It was never relinquish who you are, your spiritual identity. So if somebody says, bow down to the cross, or we're going to kill you, stay true to your faith. Don't give up. Don't give up who you are. And accept whatever may come. Don't, don't, don't take action on your own, but you can't, you can't give up who you are, your identity. That's what self-sacrifice is. It's not strapping on a bomb and going blowing up somebody. It's not. What I'm saying is the proof is, in, is the greatest statement to what Judaism is is by looking at, 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 at Jewish communities and Jewish life. Anyway, so is that an, is that an answer? It's still not an answer. It's not an answer, but the point is it's the non-answer answer. But even even all of that is still rational. Rational. Yeah. The, oh yeah. The, to be consistent with today's topic, right? It's, the ultimate answer is, you know, it's God. It's God. And so how do you, you either like your effort to understand it is sort of a distraction from? At some level, I mean, I'm sure God is. God wants you to God explore. Wants you to God wants to understand you. it, but ultimately, at the end of the day, your need for a proof is just it, another. It's coming proof. from the Greek salad place. But, but, that's a part of who we are. So, like, we're not going to... It's okay. It's okay. It's okay to question. It's okay to answer. But what I think is, thank God we don't have all the answers. That's why I said, I keep on saying that again. It's a good thing because it gives us the space to actually go beyond that. But then the counter-argument is, yeah, but if you go beyond that, then you can get into some, then you get into some unknown, and then it's, you can get weird. And then the point is, well, we have, we have a framework, and we have a certain belief. Now... Again, it's not airtight. Not, not, not that it's not airtight. It's not, there's no airtight proofs. You can't logically prove it. But that's, uh, that's our faith. That's Judaism. What you got? Not an original. The oldest Torahs are very, very old. Yeah, a few thousand years old. Every Torah that has ever been found has exactly word for word, letter for letter, the same and, text. And else. Totally people, authentic. Have people brought scientists over to where now They have... That's a really good question. The archaeology, there's major archaeology that, that, that goes back to the times of the temple. Does it go back past that proof of divine revelation? The tablet, they haven't found it yet. The, huh? They're in the yard. They're hidden. Listen. Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's what, what's the name? Harrison Ford was looking for. Huh. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know that we know definitively where it actually is. Really, what we call Mount Sinai now is 
she's the one that came over and she said, this is where this was. That's what she said? That's, that's where it comes from? Really? That's right. I didn't know that. Very interesting. So, a lot of people think that that's Mount Sinai. No, that's, but you know, I think they also think that it's somewhere in Iraq. Could, I don't know that we know today where Mount Sinai is. And by the way, Mount Sinai was never hallowed as a Jewish holy place. Never. For, for good reason. Because it wasn't, it wasn't in, a, in, a, in Jewish land. No, not only that. It's because the, the revelation of Sinai, although that's like the beginning of everything, but the end of the day is the work that we need to do to implement that vision. No, that according to Jewish tradition, Jewish teaching, Maimonides writes that the times of the first temple before it was destroyed by the Babylonians, this is going back 2,500 years, there was, uh, they buried it on the ground in secret chambers. And that's, where, and that's where it is. It says, the Talmud says stories about people that came near it and, and didn't live to tell the space of where it was. Talmud talks about people dying, trying to look for it. Huh? I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know. I don't know about that. Uh, those details, but it says that people that got too close didn't survive the uh, the the search. Anyway, take it for what it's worth. I, listen, I was never there. I don't know where these things are, but this is uh, this is what it says. Now, this this kind of moves us in. Oh, so here's here's the one thing that I want to emphasize. I mentioned before, but as we move into chapter five, I just want to emphasize one point. One of the major tests as to whether this is coming from my seichel, from my rational mind, or whether this is coming from my commitment to something beyond the rational, r- rational, is how fully committed will I be? In other words, to what extent will I go? Will I go to an extent, I mentioned before self-sacrifice, will I go to the extent of literally doing everything in my path? In other words, will I be willing to put my own life at risk to do what I need to do? To do what God wants me to do. Or, will I say, not, well, I, I'm not going to go that far. Because it doesn't make sense. It makes more sense for me to live another day and do another mitzvah than for me to give my life for this, uh, for this deal. Better that I, that I, on the outside, you know, bow down to whatever it is that, I, that they want me to bow down to the idol then, and, 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 and still keep my beliefs and my faith in my heart and live another day to do more mitzvot, that's what makes more sense to me, than give up my life in this moment. Yeah, again, I don't want to judge because what they, it's, it's very important that we don't judge what they did. At the end of the day, though, that's what they did. They, on the outside, in Spain, in Portugal, right, they, the conversos, what they did was they pretended to convert underground, you know, deep down they, they still considered themselves Jewish and they still did Jewish practices. Many of them were caught. They were killed for not really converting and etc. But at the end of the day, Judaism, those families, how many survived? How many survived Jew, Jew, Jewishly? How many of their grandchildren, great-grandchildren ended up coming back fully on the outside to Judaism? Or was it the beginning of a process that just had them fade away into, into other religions? 
It's really the latter, not the former. You have stories that they tell in New Mexico, for example, where you know there are people there that came from Spain, and you know they somebody I don't know somebody was traveling there a few decades ago, and they they came to certain communities where or certain families where the women would light candles Friday night, and the men would sit outside in the basement. Where they would do certain practices, and when they were asked, why are you doing this? Their answer was, I don't know, we've always been doing this in the family. Not associated with a blessing, not associated with any Jewish identity, but they were doing these practices, and the men would be sitting outside, like playing cards or chess, or some sort of game like outside. And the, the, the hypothesis is that the men used to sit outside, kind of watching, playing you know, their, their, you know, their games, kind of watching in case anybody's coming. The women would be lighting the candles or whatever, Friday evening, as, sun, as the sun was setting. And, and that's, but it kind of, so that practice, that, that, that custom or tradition in the family stuck, but not with a, with a Jewish context or with any understanding that, it's, uh, that, that, that they were Jewish. Anyway, whether or not that that's, that's accurate or not accurate, it's all hypothesis. It's not, I don't know that anyone can trace it definitively. Maybe some families have been traced definitively. The bottom line is, what a commitment, total commitment to God beyond the rational, what that drives a person to do is to be committed to God to the point of self-sacrifice. Now that is something that we're going to discuss in chapter 6. Chapter 5, we get back to the oil and why it is that the grease contaminated the oil. So without further ado, David, please take it away. Um, page 46, Operation Contaminating Oil. That was the operation... Is that your idea? Yes. That was my caption. <laughs> you totally saw through that, right? We can see. Even like eight years ago, it still was apparent. Okay, chapter 5, page 46. Now we can understand the expression of the Talmud when the Greeks entered the sanctuary that contaminated all the oils that were in the sanctuary. That's a straight up quote from the Talmud. The implication is that upon entering the sanctuary, they strove with great effort to contaminate the oils in order to, God forbid, vanquish Israel. So, in other words, what he points out here in this discourse is, is the Talmud is not just saying, they went in and they, and they contaminated the oil. The, the, the point is that they went in and they specifically went after the oil. They strove with great effort, and the Hebrew is, hishtadlu. Like hishtadlut, like they were, they exerted themselves, vinit amtsu, and like, they, 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 they girded themselves with might in order to, to uh, uh, contaminate the oil. What, so what was the big deal about the oil? So he explains... Kabbalistic terms, the sanctuary corresponds to being, while the oil corresponds to Hakma, which transcends the logic of being. As was, meant, as was mentioned above, chapter 2, that oil is the level of hope. So hold on, look what he says here. Timu, they defiled or they contaminated, kol hashmanim shebehechel, the oils that were in the hechel, that were in the sanctuary. Okay. Hechel can mean chamber, sanctuary. Again, the hechel was literally this building, this big building. Inside of it was a menorah, and the oils also were inside of it, and they defiled, they contaminated the oils in the hechel, in the sanctuary. So he says like this, what does it mean in, in Kabbalistic terminology? These are not geographic locations, these are, these are levels. These are dimensions. These are realities, spiritual realities. What is the Hechel? What is this sanctuary slash chamber? It's a big place. It's not the Holy of Holies, which is a small place. It's a big, it's an expanse. What that represents is the dimension of Bina, which is understanding, which is 
comp- comprehension, intellectual comprehension. Bina is where the idea in your mind expands with depth, breadth. It's the idea, you understand it, you can apply it, it becomes big, it becomes enlarged in your mind. That is rational thought. Rational thought is expansive. You put your mind to it, you're thinking about it, you're arguing, you're discussing, you're taking the points apart, you're breaking it down, you're figuring it out. It's an expansive process. It's a big process. You have an idea, and you're working it through. It's a big, it's a big area, it's a big... It says in Kabbalah that Chachma and Bina correspond to the, level, to the letters, to letters of the alphabet as well. Chachma is the Yud, of the divine name, Yud Kei So Chachma is the Yud, and Bina is He. Chachma is Yud, because it's the seminal point of wisdom, it's like the point, the kernel of, 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 of the idea, before it's expanded. Upon Bina is where the idea gestates. Gestation happens. It's kind of like masculine, feminine, male, female. So you have the seminal drop, and then you have the gestation period, the gestation process. One is the masculine, one is the feminine. Gestation is where that essential, that initial, these the initial cell or cells or whatever it is, where it expands and it's developed and it's built out. The same idea with, with the mind. You take a, a point, a seminal idea, concept, but like one, like the point, the nakuda, the point, and then you expand, that's chachma, and bina is where you elaborate upon it, you expand upon it, you open it up, you flesh it out, so therefore chachma is the yud, so a point, a dot, a yud could also just be a dot, it's a yud, nakuda, one point. The hay is wide. It's got the full measure, it's like the full space of a letter. It's wide on the top, it goes all the way down, it's like the full, it's got another line on the other side, it's the full space. So he says, the, the heichel, the sanctuary, the chamber where the menorah is located, that's bina. The oil, oil is chachma. Why is oil chachma? So we said before, he said in chapter 2, he's, he referenced it here, chapter 2, he says oil is, is kodesh, kodesh, oil is holy. Why is oil holy? Oil is holy because just like, what is holiness? Holiness means separation. Holiness means, means distinction. Oil floats on top of every other liquid. Oil remains separate, oil remains distinct. So oil is a cut above everything else. You mix oil with water, it doesn't mix, it rises to the top. So Chachma is not part of, part of everything else. Chachma rises above. So what is Chachma? Chachma is... Sorry, oil. Hold on. Let me try that again. Oil is Kodesh. Oil, is, oil rises above. Chachma also rises above. Chachma is not your understanding, but it's really your... Subs, your um, it's the word I'm looking for. It's giving yourself over to something above yourself. As we've discussed many times, that what really is Chachma? Chachma is intellectual conception, which means being open to something that you don't yet know. Right? It's that openness to wisdom that's beyond you. So it's in a sense being open, saying, it's not about what I know, it's not about what I understand, it's about the, the information of wisdom that's beyond me. So it's really about an openness to the beyond. That's what Chachma is. So he says that this is what the Greeks did when they came to the sanctuary. They said, look, Jews, you do a few things. You study, and you learn, and you have bina. You have bina, you have wisdom. 
You have understanding. It's a react part of Jewish life is understanding, appreciating, feeling good about doing something good. Then you have chachma. Chachma means that I'm accepting something higher than myself. It's the acceptance. What we've been talking about before about accepting God and doing it just because God said. So they said you got to cut out the chachma. The bina is okay. Do it because you understand. Do it because it makes sense. Do it because it's rational. You figured it out. It feels good. It makes sense. It sits in the mind well. That's why you should do it. Don't do it because of the chachma. Does it make sense? So what they wanted to do is they wanted to defile. They wanted to totally poison the chachma. They said chachma, intellectual or, or subservience to to something higher, submission to a higher authority, forget about that. That's chachma, that's oil, it's no good. We're going to poison that and tell you that you're foolish. If you, if you shut off your mind and you, and you don't think about why you're doing something and you don't question and you don't make sure that it makes sense before you act, then you are a fool. And with those words, with, those, with that philosophy, the Greeks tried to poison the very well, the very, the very foundation of Judaism. Okay, David, you want to read footnote 77? Please. Actually, 76. In, in the brackets. Yeah. The Greek spiritual war against God's Torah and against God's mitzvot. The first thing the Greeks did in order to vanquish Israel was contaminate the oils. For just as in a physical war, one side lays siege upon the enemy's city or blocks its water supply to weaken the strength of the opponent and achieve victory. Similarly, when the Greeks wished to vanquish Israel, the first thing they did was contaminate the oils. What do you go after? You go after the water. You go after the supplies. You go after which is most important, huh? What do you say? Take down the flag. Take down the strength. Take down the identity. But here it's also take take out the life source, the life blood. Like what is the water? You're, 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 you're blocking the water. That, that's what gives life. In other words, what is it that gives life to a Jew? What is it that gives life to Jewish life, to Jewish observance? What is it that gives that vitality? It's not that I understand things. That, you'll find that anywhere. You'll find that anywhere. You'll find that in any philosophy. What gives Judaism its vitality? It's that we have Torah and mitzvot that comes from God. We have, divine, we have a divine set of commandments. That's what Torah and mitzvot is all about. So what the Greek said is, ah... It's not divine. What are you talking about? Do it because it makes sense. Do it because it's rational. Don't do it because God said so. That's so irrational. That's so, that's so old school. Alright, take a look at footnote 77. Um, in, our, in our context, Chakman Bina, wisdom and understanding, have the following connotation. Bina refers to the rational dimension of the Torah and Mitzvah, the element of the Torah and Mitzvah that is within the reach of the human mind to study and understand. Which, by the way, is there's nothing wrong with that. It's very clear that the Bina, you need Chachma and Bina. You need the rational as well. There's nothing wrong with that. Chachma conversely refers to the essence, truth, of Torah and Mitzvah, the fact that they are divine, God-given, and holy, essentially beyond human comprehension. Now, while we can understand, now we must understand the Torah, 
we study and educate ourselves in the particulars of the mitzvot so that we can fulfill them properly, mina, we must nonetheless be constantly conscious of the fact that Torah and mitzvot are essentially beyond us. In other words, you need bina. You need to engage in it with your mind, with your rational. You need to engage in it on that level. At the same time, it has to be predicated on the fact that it's beyond us. Chachma. We are to lose that that chachma perspective, then we will have succumbed to the devices of the Greeks who wish to cause them to forget your Torah and take them away from the statutes of your will. Torah and mitzvot will be a meaningless moral and intellectual exercise. God forbid. This is why there must be oil within the sanctuary, for within the rational system of Torah and mitzvot, bina, there must be that recognition of the super-rational divine truth. Otherwise, I don't know, meaningless is maybe a little bit harsh, but it's just a moral and intellectual exercise. It's just something that's, that's self-fulfilled, that feels good, and something that makes sense to you, and it's, as we said before, it's, it's about you. It's not about God. It's not about a higher connection. It's not what Judaism is. Judaism is not, is not, a, is not a system of self-actualization. That's not what it is. It's not even a way in which you connect with God. It's not even a path to connect with God. That's not what Judaism is about. Some of Torah mitzvahs is. Torah mitzvah is very simple. It's what God wants us to do. God says, I created a world and I want stuff done. And I'm putting you here to do it. It's, very, it's super simple. It's very simple. You have a job to do. There you go. Part of the job is to understand and figure things out. But the overarching reality of the job is do it because this is your job. That's why we're doing it. It's not a tool for self-understanding. Oh, this is going to make me feel better. It's not. It will make you feel better. It's not about that. Good. So that we understand why they went after the oil because oil is chachma, and they wanted to take away the chachma. They wanted to. They wanted to. They wanted to, what's the word I'm looking for? Defile. They wanted to, they wanted us to lose that innocence. The innocence of saying, this is what God wants. You really think this is what God wants? It's that skepticism. It's that like, you really think? You're being foolish. All it takes is one statement like that, and suddenly now you question everything. Maybe I am foolish. Uh-oh. There's nothing wrong with questioning. The question is what you want question is what, what answer you come up with. Questioning is fine. You to make sure you come up with the right answer. But you question, suddenly you've, you've lost innocence. You, ha- you believed. You believed that God gave us the Torah and you believed that we, these are things that we have to be done. There's nothing wrong with the question. The question is, does that question, lots of questions there, does it defile the oil? Does it destroy, does it take away the oil? Leaving only Bina left. That's the question. That's what the Greeks wanted. That's straight up what they're... The Greeks, again, wasn't a nation of Greeks advancing. It was the Greek philosophy. Continue. They therefore contaminated all the oils that were in the sanctuary of Bina in order to, God forbid, carry out their plan to cause them to forget your Torah and to take them away from the statutes of your will, to cause Israel to study Torah and perform, and perform its vote. For rational reasons alone. I will say this. If Torah and Mitzvot of Judaism was... Remember that we said that, that split screen? If Judaism flipped over to the side of rational, that we do it because it makes sense, we do it because it feels good, we do it because it makes us better people, that's why we do it, Judaism would not be here today. Because it would never have come to a point in time where Jews would have said, I'm not going to convert 
I did too many double negatives there. I'm like stuck now in a sense I don't know how to get out of. Let me try that again. When Jews consistently were programmed against, I'm using that as a verb, when there was, when there was out of the fast, and when all of that was going on, Jews would have never said, I'm giving up my life for Judaism. They would have said, all right, self-actualization, I'll actualize somewhere else. Wisdom, there's other wisdoms out there. Judaism would not exist today. There would not be Judaism. So, you could argue, so what do you need Judaism today for? You could argue. Somebody could ask the question. I'm not saying anyone here is asking the question. Maybe you are. You could ask, so what do we need it today? So, we, why can't we just be good people? And wise people, and do good things in the world? What do you need Judaism for? The question is predicated on, on not... It's basically cutting God out of the equation. Because if you believe that God created the world and gave us the Torah and gave us the things that He wants to do, well then there's a very important role that we have as Jews. And that's to study Torah and do the mitzvot. That's what we're here for. And we do that not because it feels good, not because we understand it, not because it makes us better people. We do it because that's what God wants us to do. And that's why we've always been doing it. And if at any moment, studying Torah and doing a mitzvah became about, this is what I want to do, the moment it got tough, is the moment we would have hung up our Jewish kippot. We would have hung up the kippah, we would have hung up the talit, we would have put the tefillin and thrown it overboard. And we said, forget about it, we're done. And the question again is, so then what's so wrong with that? Still be good people. And the answer is, because then what God wants to be done in the world is not being done. Who's doing the mitzvot? But why is the mitzvah important? Because God wants it. So why is that important? It's what God wants. God wants me to wrap tefillin. Why? How does it make me better? Who says it makes you better? Who says it has to make you better? Who says you have to understand it? It's what He wants. He created the world. He created you. He says, look, I want you to wrap tefillin. That's it. So the Greek, the Greek inside of us, the philosopher says, but I don't understand. Explain it to me. It needs to make sense. I need, how is it going to make me feel better? How is it going to make me wiser? How is it going to make me... Uh, the whole thing. Again, I'll say it again. If Judaism switched from it's about what God wants to it's about what we understand and what we want, it would not be here today. And again, if you ask, so then what's, and what would be the big deal if it's not here today? If you, if you consider, if you believe that God has things that He wants done, then it's a very big deal. That's the simple equation. Yeah. Why do you say it wouldn't be here today? There's a lot of, you know, the Greeks are still around. No, Judaism wouldn't be here today. How do you say that? No, but Judaism. Would it be Jews like Italians or Italian and Irish? It would be about the. It would be a very. It wouldn't be about mitzvot. It wouldn't be about doing. It wouldn't be about doing a mitzvah. It would. It would be about. It would be about maybe cultural. It would be like a filter fish. It would be about. um, It would be. It wouldn't be about the mitzvot. It would. First of all, were the Italians ever? Were the Greeks ever persecuted to the extent that we were? Never. 
Never happened. There's no other nation. What my, my, the, the, the train of thought that I was operating under on, in addition to what Marnin is saying, is that if, it was, if, if we flipped it from being about, well, this is what God wants, so of course we're going to do it, to this is about what feels good and makes sense to us, there have been many points in our history where it didn't make sense at all to stick to this. And the easier way out, the rational way out, the ra- not way out, the rational step, the rational decision, the, the comfortable decision, the logical choice would have been, see you later, I can be a good person somewhere else. I'll kiss the cross, and I'll be a good person. Plenty of good people on that side. There's nothing wrong. But God says to the Jew, I, want, I have mitzvot that I want you to do. Say, yeah, but I'm going to be killed. So which is make more sense? I, shouldn't, I, I should die rather than be a good person and live for many years? doesn't make sense. That's what I'm saying. If at any point in time, the, 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 the foundation of Judaism was comfort, pleasure, rationale. In my opinion, it would be gone. I'm just, I understand your point. I knew where you were going. I was going on a little bit of a different point because I've heard that before. Like, we wouldn't be around or look at what we've done. It's true, we have an exceptional history. I agree. But there's a lot of groups that have been around for a long time that have exceptional history. It's not about an exceptional... No, but... Look, Greeks right now are not... Uh, I mean, they're Orthodox Christians, right? So it's, it's the Greek is an Athens exists, right? But it's not... I wasn't talking about the Greek. Right, right. But any religion that, you know, we can take from the time before, that pretty much does not exist anymore, right? Every major religion that we know currently except for the Judaism are fairly new religions. It's, you know, Christianity, 2000-something, then Islam, 7th century, then... You know, Buddhism is not even religion, but philosophy. All of them are younger. All of the religions that existed at the time, the Atlas is still around, but not practicing the same religion. I'm not an expert on religion. I can't say that. Sure, I thought maybe some of the Eastern religions have been around for longer. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not an expert in religion either. Don't let the beard fool you. <laughs> I know Judaism. But, I'll tell you one thing. To, to go back to the same thing, like would we exist in the same shape or form? Like we have examples that the nations evolved and you know still being a, you know a nation but not practicing the same religion. Right, and then I think that's the that's I think that's the essential to your question to your specific question. I think that's 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 the most direct answer. Is that yeah? I mean, we might be around and so, but I I don't even know that we would be around at all. I what was the motivation? I don't know. I don't know. I, I'll tell you this. What motivated our ancestors, our grandparents, our great-grandparents to stick it out, and pretty much any Jew alive today had great-great-great-grandparents that were Orthodox, that were religious. I mean, it, it, that, that's for sure. There's, no, there's not even a question. It's, it's not like maybe they were, maybe they weren't. First of all, there was no other option. There was an option. It was, I'm saying there wasn't really another option, number one. I mean, there was, but then it, it was... Lo- but the point is, if at any point in time, Judaism said, let's take, let's take the, the easy way out, Torah and Mitzvah would have, would, would have been the first thing to go. The first thing to go. I don't, I'm not going to get into... I, look, I, no, I understand. I don't, I don't feel comfortable like, put, 
labeling and marginal. I don't. I don't want to. I don't. A Jew. Chabad's philosophy is a Jew is a Jew, and we don't uh, labels are for suits. I don't want to. <laughs> Sims, an educated consumer is our best customer. Remember that guy? They went out of business. Sad. Let's look at my my bar mitzvah suit came from Sim. I don't know what his first name was. No, I don't think his name was Sai. Sai Sims? Yeah. Maybe New York. Yeah, New York. He had those commercials. An educated consumer is our best customer. He had like that that voice, that guy. Maybe he was a spokesman. Men's oh men's warehouse. Also, that that's it. It's uh, Zimmerman. Zimmerman? Zimmerman. Not George. Just Zimmer. Zimmer. Was his name George? No. No. No way. George Zimmerman. That's another guy. That's not good. That's not. He's from Florida. Getting back to the point, I, I, I firmly again. There's two. There's two points here. Number one, it would not have looked the same. Number two, I don't know that it would be even around culturally. Like what? All other cultures were never persecuted to the extent, were they? I don't know. I don't know of any other culture. Forget about the religious part. That for sure. Torah would not, mitzvot would not exist today. I don't know. Oh, here's the simple. The point is like this. The point is that the struggle against the Greeks in the story of Hanukkah was not just why did they fight? Why did the Jews care? So the Greeks wanted, so the Greek philosophy, the movement that was capturing the world, that got the world's attention, was, was wisdom, philosophy, self-actualization, was personal growth. So what's the big deal? So Judaism should have also evolved. My point is, if it evolved, it would have disappeared. If it would have evolved, certainly mitzvot would have disappeared. So what's the big deal? We would have all been enlightened. If you believe that God wants certain things to be done, then it's a big problem. Because then we wouldn't be doing it. Wait, you, you, get, you get what I'm saying? Okay, so here... No, 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 it's fine. Here's the, here's the central point. But Judaism has evolved because you've got Hasidic Orthodox... No, 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 I understand what you're saying. No, but no, I'm with you. But here's the, here's the central point. Here's the central point. The, the, the central point is like this. That what... The, the reason why the Hashemunayim, the Hasmonians, why the Maccabees, why they were so... why they put up such a fight against the Greek movement is because it wasn't just a slight modification to Jewish ethos. It is a completely, it, is, it would have created a completely different religion. It would have, or different move. It would have, it, it's totally, even though it might seem like a small modification, don't do it because God wants you to do it. Don't do the mitzvah because God wants you. Do the mitzvah because it makes sense to you. Do the mitzvah also. That's what he said. The Greeks, do the mitzvah. But do it because it makes sense. That small difference is the difference between Judaism and not Judaism itself. And so that's why, that's the, only, the only one point I wanted to make is that that's why this, be, this became such a big battle. That's why we celebrate the story of, that's why we celebrate the story of Hanukkah and the miracle of Hanukkah. Because this went to the very, this cut to the very core of what Judaism is about. The question is today, are we influenced with the same Greek influences? Today, are we influenced with this secular, with this intellectual, with, this, with that type of movement saying that everything has to make sense and everything has to feel good? I would say, yes. I would argue that the battle that we faced 2,400 years ago, uh, 2,200 years ago, the same battle that we faced with the Greek philosophy and that movement is the same 
pretty much the same challenge that we face here in America, where the world, huh? Or the world, is it the world? He said, the, I think the world at large. Specifically in America, though, I think that's where we are, is the same challenge of, of that kind of enlightenment. You know, there was an enlightenment movement that swept Europe and the enlightenment movement that's today. It's, it's, that, it's, it's the same challenge. And I think one of the greatest takeaways that we can take from this text is to understand, number one, what is Judaism about? What is the foundation? That's what we're really getting to. The foundation we established, chapter 4, chapter 3, the foundation is... This is what God wants. God wants me to study Torah. He wants me to do a mitzvah. Why? Because this is what He wants. It's will, higher than reason. And even if He has a reason, you can't really understand the reason. It's infinite wisdom. And even with a little bit that you do understand, eh, that's just a little bit. But why do we do it? Because God wants. That's what Judaism is about. The moment we, it becomes all about the way I understand, the way I feel, that's where we get into trouble. That's where things start falling away. That's where suddenly it doesn't become Judaism anymore. It becomes... You ever hear the expression, what Judaism means to me? You ever hear that expression? What Judaism means to me, you can argue that that statement is not so authentic, authentically Jewish. Because Judaism is not about what it means to me. Judaism is, is, is what it is. Does it make any sense? It's not. It doesn't make sense because it shouldn't make sense. No, but this does make sense. This does make sense. It's not about. No, at its core, it doesn't make sense. No, but it's not about my understanding. My, it's about this is what God wants. That's the that's the essence of Judaism. The rest is commentary. Now go and learn. It doesn't mean that you don't have bina. You have Bina. But the foundation has to be the oil. The foundation is Chachma. The foundation is acceptance of this is what God wants. And then I work to integrate it. I work to, to connect, to, to live with it to the best that I can. And it's not black and white. It's I, I'm ready to accept certain mitzvot or I, I accept certain mitzvot and some I'm not yet ready. Maybe my mind is still getting in the way. And that's okay. But I'm striving toward letting go a little bit more and accepting a little bit more. That's, that's at least the movement. We're not saying, well, either you accept or you get out. No, never said that. What we're saying is understanding what Judaism is, understanding what is the threat of the, the rational, philosophical, feel-good movement, and trying to, in a sense, resist that and be a little bit more Jewish. Be a little bit more, you know what, even if I don't understand, I'm going to do it because it's a mitzvah. This is what God wants. That's step at a time, one mitzvah at a time. That's really what it's about. By saying being a little bit more Jewish, isn't that the same as saying what does it mean to be a Jew? What I, what I mean by a little bit more Jewish is a little bit more defining Judaism as what God wants me to do. So being a little Jewish is taking one more thing on, taking one more mitzvah that God wants me to do, even if I don't yet understand it. That's really what it's about. That's essentially what I meant at the beginning of all or nothing. Yeah, oh, and that, that's why I brought it back to that. Exactly. So it's not, the answer is, it's not all or nothing. But the point, but the point that we want to bring out is that why is it so important? Why is this distinction so important? Because it cuts to the very heart of what Judaism is about. So, Rabbi, it seems to me that the Greek way um, lacks Pokemon. Yes. In that if you're lacking the spark, the, the inspiration that leads to Bina then there is an imbalance. 
Oh, exactly. So getting back to the Sefirot, turns out that what they said was Chachma is not what we say is Chachma. They say Chachma is wisdom. And we say Chachma is not wisdom. It's, it's surrender to a higher wisdom. That's where the core distinction comes in. They contaminated the wisdom. They didn't say get rid of wisdom. They contaminated the wisdom. They said that your wisdom, by the way, by the way, and this is what we're going to get into next week, they didn't even say don't surrender. But they said surrender to human beings. Because everyone surrenders. Everyone does things that are irrational. Everyone does it. This is what we're going to get into next week, chapter 6. Everyone does it. But suddenly, when it comes to doing a mitzvah, we say, oh, I'm not going to just suspend my logic for God. The Rebbe, I said this many times, I said this a few times before. The Rebbe once wrote a letter to somebody who said that. He said, hey, have you ever been on an airplane? You've suspended your logic. You've suspended your... How do you know? You know that this fellow is qualified to fly. You know that the plane is safe. You've inspected it yourself. You're totally... You've suspended all logic. You're, you're having faith. So don't say, I don't have, I operate rationally. That's why the Greeks didn't want to, it's very, very, very precise, this discourse. The Greeks didn't say, no oil. They defiled the oil. They said, yes, surrender, but surrender to us. Surrender to yourself. Surrender to somebody else. Surrender to things inside the box. But don't surrender to God. You know, people that say, I don't believe in God, etc. Like people that are, they also suspend belief. When you scientists that don't believe, there are also suspensions of belief and, and things that are accepted on faith within science. It's not about anti-science now, but this is the point that everyone suspends belief. The question is: Is it the God, the way we understand it? Again, how do we know what God? Again, the way we we believe, or is it the self? That's the critical point, and that's what chapter six is really all about. Why is that? Cha- why is that what chapter six is about? Because chapter 6, yeah, we'll get there next week. All right, uh, that's it for today.